Christianese talk, that his, his name really is powerful. When soon after I really started following the Lord, you guys, I've shared this story many times before, but I went and traveled with this little ministry team. It was me and three other guys in an old 1980s wood grain minivan. Um, and we would share testimonies and do little skits and try to share the little bit that we knew. And we came to a, uh, there was a little Christian school in a little town in Oklahoma. And we were doing a series of little meetings there during their chapel services um, each week or, or, for, or for about a week. And there was a girl there, um, I still remember her name, her name was Cole Woodruff. And she dressed all in black, black, black makeup. Um, if, you, if you guys remember, you know, the late 90s grunge, you know, that was that thing. But this wasn't just a, a fashion statement. Um, it was reflecting what was going on on the inside, for her anyway. Not that it is for everybody, but. And uh, she came up uh, to a little invitation that we gave at the end of one of the chapel services for prayer. And... Um, she said, now again, I was 19 years old. I'd grown up in church, but I just started following the Lord, uh, really, with all my heart. And um, she came up at that invitation, and she asked for prayer, and she said she'd really been wrestling with giving her soul to the devil, which is a very, can be a very, very, very real thing, um, obviously. And, and I didn't, you know, know what to say, other than I said, you know, Cole, I, I know that there's power in the name of Jesus. And if you'll just call out to him and just trust him, I think he can, I know that he, that he can set you free. She said, okay. That was my deep counsel. And we left and we went out, we continued to travel. We went out to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and maybe a month or so later, we were coming back through this way, heading back east. And we stopped at that school again and I, I kid you not, I kid you not, she looked completely different, completely different. And she came up to me and she said, this is literally what she said. She goes, there's power in the name. She goes, there's power in the name. And, and you know, God, I just, I just share that because in no way <laughs> glorifying myself because believe me, I... I knew nothing, I still don't know a lot, but I know this, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is. And, and I'm telling you, all those who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And even if you're a Christian here this morning, but um, as Scott shared at the beginning, you know, for those of you that were here, that our battle's not against flesh and blood, and as Ashley shared, you know, in her prayer, um, there is one thing that we have to come back to over and over and over again, and that is the name of Jesus Christ and what he did. What he did on the cross and through his death, burial, and resurrection is greater than what the devil can do or even what you can do in your sin. Your sin matters, and the devil's attacks, they matter, but they're not greater than what Jesus did. What Jesus did matters more, and it is able to defeat all darkness. Amen? So I just invite you this morning just to trust in that. Just pray with me. Father, we, we love you. We thank you that um, not only did you come and not only do you offer us this grace that is found in Jesus Christ, but we thank you for, like the, it's like there's two parts to the good news, that you came and you did what you did and you offer us what you offer us. But then the other part is that the, like we don't have to do anything to earn it. Huh. 
that all we have to do is trust you. Because Lord, if there was anything that we had to do to earn it, we wouldn't be able to. But you offer it freely as a gift. Father, I pray this morning for anybody who's here who's never said, yes, I I want that. I call upon the name of Christ. I trust you for my salvation and to be my Lord and my Savior. Lord, I just pray that you would help them to do that right now. Thank you that there's power in the name. We thank you that we get to sing about it and declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. If you got your Bibles, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. As most of you know, by this point, I'm sure you're getting tired of me saying it. I say it almost every week when we get up here doing a little Bible reading plan this year as a church, reading one chapter a day, five days a week through the New Testament. Uh, This past week found us finishing up 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 over the last couple weeks. I've been talking specifically about uh, discipleship. There's a a sense in which everything that we do as Christians is discipleship because we are disciples, okay? Uh, There's another sense in which there's a very specific application in which discipleship happens, namely kind of what we see in the life of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where he spent the vast majority of his time, and there's some, you know, people have tried to like actually figure this out with the amount of words that are in the Gospels, but statistically, like Jesus spent well over 75% of his time just with 12 men that he was pouring his life into them. That, that was the majority of the work that he came uh, to accomplish while he was here on the earth, ultimately, uh, obviously the pinnacle being his death, burial, uh, and resurrection so that uh, those 12 as well as many others could have salvation. And so um, this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I want to kind of continue talking about discipleship this week. Um, because uh, if you were going to talk about discipleship from the Bible, I don't know that um, you could do any sort of uh, serious talk about discipleship without mentioning uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, because verse 2 um, in this chapter um, is kind of just a great synopsis and crystallizes as well uh, the idea of what discipleship is. And so let's read this together. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and then I'm just going to walk through it slowly and unpack it. Verse 1, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace has a source. It's found in Christ. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is the verse I was talking about. This is just a very uh, um, brass tacks, uh, rubber meets the road way of summarizing what discipleship is. Let me read that again. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Verse three, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Please pray with me one more time. Father, 
We love you. Please open the eyes of our heart now that we could see wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, discipleship. Discipleship. Um, That's the primary command here given in this passage. This really matters, folks. If we embrace the central commands of this passage, um, there's no way that Mercy Hill Church can ever fail. If we embrace the central commands, the exhortations that Paul gives here to Timothy and apply them to our lives, if we obey these things, there's no way that we can really ever fail. However, if we don't obey these things, it really doesn't matter what else we do, we will have ultimately failed, okay? Um, It's very possible in church to do a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Christians uh, can pride themselves sometimes on being very busy, okay? And if you've grown up in church or in around the church, you know that like there's just always stuff to do. And it's not all bad stuff. However, it's not always the most important stuff. Um, Sometimes we let those things that are urgent kind of take the place of that which is ultimately important. And what Paul talks about here, uh, this primary command in verse 2, is of the utmost importance. This is what uh, Jesus did, and this is what this is what Paul came to do. And so, again, talking about discipleship this morning, I'm talking about this narrow definition of discipleship, um, that we have somebody investing in our lives, and that we also are investing in the lives of others. Uh, let me just begin to walk through this and unpack this and all that's, that's around it here. Verse 1, Paul says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's writing to Timothy, and Paul is near the end of his life. He says later on in this letter, he knows that he's going to die soon. He knows that the Lord is about to take him home. Timothy uh, is his, as he says here in verse one, his child in the faith. He has left him uh, in Ephesus and but several other churches to kind of oversee and to watch and to guard. And Timothy is struggling. Uh, If you have ever spent any amount of time investing your life in other people for the sake of the gospel, you will find that at times you will be discouraged, okay? If you're not discouraged, do ministry. (laughs) There'll be times, (laughs) that was kind of a bad promo for getting into ministry, but um, there will be times when you will be discouraged. It's not all discouraging. There's a lot of joy, a lot of joy, but there's also a lot of sorrow. And at times it will... It will be hard, and I'm not just talking about being a pastor or having to do this, like what I'm doing here this morning, or, but I'm just talking about the call for every Christian to be a disciple and to share the word and to invest in others in a way as is to bring them to maturity so that they in turn can also invest their lives in others for the sake of bringing them to maturity. If you get involved in that process, there will be times where you're discouraged, and Timothy here is not just involved in that process, but also the process of overseeing the church. He's battling false teachers. Um, uh, persecution is coming, uh, obviously, kind of his mentor in the faith, Paul, was sitting in jail uh, because of his faith and because of his faithfulness uh, to Christ Jesus. And Timothy, Timothy is struggling, and Paul says to him here again in verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Where do you find your strength when you feel weak? Where do you find your strength when you feel discouraged? Okay, there's only one source 
the source is what we've already said this morning. It's found in this name of Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ. And from Jesus, Paul says that we get, we get grace. We get grace. Do you, do you think of grace as the thing that you need every single day in order to walk strong in the Lord? Again, it's nothing that you earn. It's something that God gives. It is, it's from him. Every day he offers us grace that can be found in him as we come to him, as we trust in him. And Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, you're going to need this grace. It's the only way to be strengthened, this grace that is found in the name of Jesus Christ. And again, in order to fulfill this command, and it seems very simple, but look at verse 2. As I've said already, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, I glanced over this verse for many years and was just like, oh, yeah, you know something, teach something, okay. Uh, it's, it's a little bit more than that. Paul here, if you look carefully at what he says, he actually lists four generations, not necessarily like earthly generations in the sense of, of time and decades, but kind of four generations in the faith in which we're to think if we're going to have an effective ministry of making disciples that make disciples. He says, what you've heard from me, so that's Paul, okay? And he, of course, has passed this on to Timothy, that's two, entrust to faithful men. So Timothy, what Timothy has learned from Paul, he is then to entrust to faithful men, but then who are to what? Who are to teach others also. So from Paul, you're going down, down the line of Paul teaches Timothy, Timothy teaches faithful men, these faithful men teach others also. And in this one little verse, Paul kind of sets this very simple thing uh, before Timothy that if he's going to be effective in the church, he doesn't just need to teach people something, but he needs to teach people how to teach other people who can teach other people, right? And I'm telling you guys, this sounds really simple, this is very practical, but this is a game changer. And I think that, that most of us in the churches we've grown up with, or up in possibly, we've missed this because by and large, I don't think anyone will disagree with me, but I admit that I'm painting with kind of broad strokes here. But in the American evangelical church, we have created what would be called a consumeristic model, is that you come to a certain place and you get, uh, you get the services that um, you expect to get from the professionals, and so somebody's going to stand up and they're going to preach a message and they're going to, you know, kind of spoon feed you some stuff and then you're going to get that and that's your kind of spiritual intake and so you've had your spiritual need met, you've got your Jesus fix. I've, I've, I've literally heard people say this before, I just come on and say, I just need my Jesus fix. Ah, well, yeah, okay, I mean, I'm here too to, I mean, I want to meet with the Lord as we sang about, you know, truly meet with him, with, God, with his people, in his presence, sing to him worship him, but it's not just about being a consumer, okay? And there's not, there's not two categories of people, Christians and disciples. There's, they're all one and the same. It's just what kind of disciple are you? Are you a disciple that is a consumer? That would just be a bad disciple. That would be a disciple that's not really doing their job, that doesn't understand the mission that they've, that they've been given. The point is, is that for each and every single one of you that named Jesus Christ as Lord this morning, 
he has a plan for you, and I don't know specifically what that is, but I've talked about this before, that understanding the will of God for your life, and this is one of the questions that I get asked over and over and over again, and I understand it because I've asked it a lot in my life, but people ask, what is God's will for my life? Well, you think of it like a funnel, and up top you've got kind of this wide, the kind of the, the, the general moral will of God, those things that are directly commanded in Scripture. So, for example, First, Thess- First Thessalonians 5 says, uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Okay, That's clearly commanded in Scripture. So you might not know about what the specifics of his will is, which is usually what people are asking when they're asking this question. They want to know, where should I live? Where should I work? Who should I marry? What should I do? What's my specific calling that God has for me? Those are not bad questions to ask, but you will not get to the specific calling of God if you do not first live in the general moral will of God what is clearly revealed in the scriptures. Am I making sense? Okay, so along with all those other things, I would, I would argue this, that if you wanna to get to the specific will of God, then you need to embrace the general will of God. And the general will of God, I'm gonna argue one of the things that in this text this morning that we're gonna see is that God, it is God's will for you, Christian. Okay, listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it is his will for you to make disciples. It is his will for you to invest in other people who will be able to invest in other people. And maybe if you're not even there, maybe the first step is you need to be invested in, in a way so that you are able to then invest in other people who can invest in other people. If you ever want to get to to God's specific will in your life, you're going to have to embrace uh, kind of this general moral will that's revealed very clearly in the scriptures. Are you with me so far? You following me here? Am I making sense? And so let me just stop for a minute and just ask the question in a way that's, that's pointed at you. Can you point to anybody in your life that you have invested in to the place where they are now mature enough to invest in others? That was a cricket. That's what that was supposed to be. Sorry. <laughs> um, Here's the thing, many times, like, like even for myself, like I, I'm, I'm getting there now, but it's even possible to be in ministry and to not be able to answer that question really well. Because again, in ministry, and especially as a pastor, people can require many things of you, and you just think, well, man, this is what I saw, this is what I grew up with, and so you just begin to kind of do what the church does all the while, not actually obeying this command. See, you guys, Ephesians chapter 4 says that it is God's will for every single member of the body of Christ to become mature in Christ Jesus. Maturity in Christ is not just for a select few. It's not just for pastors or missionaries or those who are called to some sort of full-time ministry. It is for every single person. The way that that happens is, yes, through the proclamation of the word, this is part of it. There's a sense in which, uh, and, but this is another sermon for another day, that discipleship is a community project. This is why uh, you see in the book of Acts, they weren't just making individual disciples, but they were also planting churches because the church is the place that discipleship is to happen. But again, talking about it in the kind of the narrow sense this morning is that who have you invested in so that they will also be able to teach others and invest in them, also be able to teach others and invest in them. Here's a little phrase. I think um, I shared this with the E2 E2 course class this past Sunday, um, and I gave this quote, and this happens all the time. I quote people, but I can't remember who it's from, and so I'm like, somebody said this, and it was good. And then I say it, but I think it was Bob Buford uh, who said this, who started an organization called Leadership Network that has um, uh, helped many um, 
uh, pastors and, and leaders uh, succeed and have an impact. But he said this little thing, and I love it. He said, your fruit grows on other people's trees. Your fruit grows on other people's trees. Again, I know this is very simple and very practical, but if you embrace this, this is a game changer. Because so many times we want to have this fruit that people can look to us and talk about how great we are, but that's not fruit really in the Christian sense. There's a personal fruit that the Bible talks about in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and things like those. Like Those are, those are goods, like, like our, our attitudes and things like when we're pressed, what, what comes out of us. We want those things. But there's another sense in which the Bible talks about fruit um, where it's about impact and change lives. Did Jesus change lives when he came to this earth? Yes? Yeah. Yeah. And he invested in those 12 men in such a way that they then went on and led the early church. Of course, under his authority, of course, under his lordship, of course, under the empowerment of the Spirit. But he invested in them so that they could invest in others. Your fruit grows on other people's trees, meaning this, that if you're not willing to take the time to invest in other people as to make them fruitful, then you yourself will never be fruitful. You follow me? This is really important. And you can apply this all over the place. I mean, parents with kids and husbands and wives and in the community, but in the end, my big challenge to you this morning and that, that Paul is, is calling us to here is just to embrace this very, very practical idea that it is God's will for your life to be investing in others so that you are able to empower them to invest in others. And if you've never been invested in yourself, then I hope that you will leave here today. You will go to mercyhillfamily.com. There's a little tab on the website where you can say, I would like to be discipled, and somebody will contact you. Now, it doesn't have to happen that way. In fact, I, I hope that there's a day where the culture of Mercy Hill Church will be such that if you come here for even a week or two, that somebody is going to approach you and say, hey, have you been discipled? Hey, do you know the Lord? Hey, could, would you like to get together and grab coffee and open God's Word together and study it? and study it together. I hope that that happens someday, but I'll be honest with you, Mercy Hill, I, I want this, but that's not the culture of our church yet. It's not it. That's not it. But we're going to go there. By the grace of God um, and by his mercy, we're going to go there because we want to we obey his word. So here's what's interesting. Paul, this is the primary command, okay, in this passage. And then, <laughs> like just to know what you're signing up for, um, Paul just kind of leaves that and he goes on and he gives these three uh, analogies or, or word pictures or metaphors. I don't know what the difference is between those things, but it, it's this, this, these three word pictures that flow out of this primary command. And what's really interesting about it is all these, all these uh, uh, word pictures that he gives are, I don't have to say it, they are, they are get-or-done metaphors. They are get-or-done analogies. You have the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Not just the farmer, but the hard-working farmer. And so the idea here is that these word pictures that he now gives, this is the attitude that's going to be required if we're going to walk in obedience to the commandment that he just gave which is to invest in others in a way that, so that they can become mature and invest in others. So let's look at it. <clears throat> first of all, verse three. 
He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. If you, you want to be a disciple that makes disciples, you want to be an effective, fruitful disciple maker, you're going to have to have the attitude of a soldier. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I saw some pictures a while back of some American soldiers. I'm not sure where they were in the world, but they had dug a little foxhole and they had had like a little canvassy tarp thing over their foxhole and it was muddy and it was pouring down rain and there they sat at their post guarding their area. And it made me thankful that people were willing, willing, are willing to do that. Um, but I also thought and thinking about this, how kind of goofy or unfitting it would be for a soldier to complain about that condition, right? Here's why. The reason it would be out of place or unfitting for a soldier to complain about sitting out in the rain in a muddy foxhole is that this is what you signed up for, right? Like, nobody joins the military and thinks they're just going to be chilling in a five-star penthouse hotel, right? You join because, I mean, it's not that you necessarily want that, but, but at the same, you, you know this is part of the job, right? Guys, when you give your life to Christ, I mean, he, he saves you. You are his. He loves you. You are his child. But the Bible gives all these different um, physical, worldly uh, analogies to give us a picture of what it means to follow Jesus. And yes, you're his child. Yes, you're his son. Yes, you're his daughter. But you are also a soldier in his army for the sake of the advancement of the gospel, the same gospel that saved you. It came to you because it was going somewhere else. And it's not that he doesn't love you. He sees you personally. You are his child. That is totally true. I love my kids more than anything in the world. That's totally true of you. God loves you that way. But you're also a soldier. You can't just cling to the kid thing, right? Well, I'm his kid. I'm his kid. I'm his kid. He wouldn't let anything bad happen to me. Wrong. Wrong. And you got to know what you signed up for. That's going to be difficult. And he says here, he says you got to share in suffering. Then he says, and no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. That there are certain sacrifices that a soldier has to make for the sake of the advancement of the mission. Probably the biggest thing here, just again, this whole passage is very, very practical. Um, but probably the biggest thing is our time. That if Jesus is Lord of your life, then he's Lord of your calendar. Yes? Amen? And there's going to be sacrifices in regards to time that you need to make to spend it with other people, to invest in them so that they can come to maturity and invest in others. 
It goes on, verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. In other words, I think the idea here is that of cheating, okay? You can't cheat. Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Pete Rose, for those of you from an older generation. What comes to mind when I mention those names? They cheated. They were good at what they did, but they cheated. They took steroids or, you know, if you're old Pete, you bet on the game. But anyway, you you can't cheat. The thing that you're calling other people to, you yourself need to be living by that standard. I think this is one of the biggest reasons why people do not engage in the process of discipleship. Because it's easy to just kind of come to church and just do your thing and, oh, God bless you, brother. Oh, blessings to you, sister. Good to see you. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. Praise the Lord. And just play that little game. But when you get down, because if you're going to make disciples, here's the thing. You're going to have to get to know other people, but here's the thing. Other people are going to get to know you. And if you're cheating, if you're calling them to do something that you yourself are not willing to do, according to the word of God, and follow Jesus as Lord then it's going to come out. And I just think this is the primary reason why people don't engage in this process because it's easier to just not play that game. Like we don't want people to see our lives up close. It's much easier to just remain at a distance. You know, as Jesus walked this, this, this earth, you had all these people. You had the 12, and within the 12, you had Peter, James, and John, who were kind of like the three, and then you had the 72, and then you had the crowd, and you had, and you had the masses. And as Jesus would be walking along the path, there'd be some that were right there by him, and there'd be others that would come up and want to touch the hem of his garment. There'd be others that would be clinging to them. And then there'd be others that would just kind of hang back and kind of watch from a distance. Which one are you? Which one are you? To be a disciple means that people need to see your life and that you need to be willing to set an example. And don't pretend like you are um, an athlete that is running a race. Sorry, I'm getting a funny, another funny, I don't know, picture that's coming to mind right now. It's like, sorry, this is going to sound mean. Sometimes analogies come to me on the fly. And then I think about it, I'm like, this might not be a bad, good one, but I'm going to go for it at this point since I've already. But sometimes you have the guy, <laughs> sometimes you have the guy at the gym, you know, and he's got like the, you know, his shirt will say like U.S. Olympic weight training team or something. And he's got the sweatband, you know, and he's got the whole outfit. He's ready to go. He's got the headphones on but it doesn't look like he works out. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's, that's kind of how it is sometimes. Like we, we can talk all our good Christian game and we can talk about, forgive me if that was offensive, <laughs> that, that, but, but we can talk our good Christian game and, and we can talk about the latest Christian podcast that we've listened to or the latest sermon by, you know, the big name that we watched on YouTube. Oh, did you hear this? Oh, it's great. And we can talk all this game, but man, when, but nobody's really looking at our life. And we want it that way. Because if they were to look at our life, we would, we would be a little bit embarrassed, okay? The soldier, the athlete, and then he says, the hardworking farmer, not just the farmer, but the hardworking farmer. I think most farmers are hardworking. 
especially back in this day. The hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crops. What's he talking about here? I think he's talking about the nature of Christian ministry. Is that you cannot manufacture it, you can only cultivate it. Okay? You cannot manufacture fruit, you can only cultivate it. And if there is one thing that at certain times in my life, if I'm being totally honest with you, I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, but like this is the one thing that makes me want to quit ministry some days is because I can't just, it's not like going out, like when I used to do roofing, here's what would happen. We would show up to the roof in the morning, the shingles would be all tattered, you know, they might have a leak in the house. We'd redo the roof. We would leave there that evening, most days, and they would have a new roof. And I would look at it, and I would kind of salute myself and say, well done, Eric, you're done. And, you go, and I could see the results. Oh, I'm telling you right now, ministry is not like that. You just... You plow, you tend, you plant the seed, you water, and then you kind of wait. <laughs> and you do it again, and you talk. And all you can do is cultivate it. You cannot manufacture it. And man, if you're going to make disciples, this is one of the things that will discourage you. But I'm telling you, it's, it's just the nature of what it is. And in the end, the way God set it up this way is because he's the only one that gets the honor and glory. Is that we might plant, some might water, whatever, but God is the one who gives the growth. And it's all for his honor and glory. And so you have to be willing to lay aside that manufacturing mindset and embrace a cultivating mindset if you're going to be an effective disciple maker. Then he says, verse 7, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And then he says this, and I, I love, and this is such, this is just such great encouragement. Again, in the context, I think he's specifically talking about uh, uh, making disciples and how we should gain, um, where we can gain strength and motivation and, and endurance so that we don't give up in this process of ministry that God has called every single one of us to. But I think it's also very applicable in a much broader sense because, again, Timothy, in this context, he, he's discouraged. Paul says earlier to him in, in, in uh, chapter one, he says, fan into flame the gift of God that is within you. Timothy had, had gifting, he had calling uh, to, to lead. He was discipled by Paul, if you can imagine what that was like, but he was still growing cool. He's just very, very discouraged. And I would offer verse eight to you this morning if you find yourself uh, discouraged this morning for, for any reason at all, but especially if you're discouraged because maybe you're not seeing the Lord do in and through your life what you'd like to see him do. He says this in verse eight. He says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. So simple, yet so important and so often forgotten. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Now here's what's really interesting about this, nerdy little detail here, but it's the nerdy little details that matter sometimes, is that, that 12 times in this letter, Paul specifically refers to Jesus by name, Okay? 11 out of those 12 times, he refers to him as Christ Jesus, as Christ Jesus, okay? This is the only place where he refers to him as Jesus Christ. Now, why does that matter? I don't think it's because Paul was like, eh, I've been saying Christ Jesus a lot, and I just want to switch it up. Here's the idea. Jesus was his, his, his earthly name, okay? Um, it means God saves, but there were probably other people with this name as he was, as he was growing up. Uh, 
but Christ specifically means anointed one, okay? So I think everybody knows this, but Christ isn't Jesus' last name, okay? Um, and so Christ means Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, Christos, okay? I think in all the other times throughout this letter, when he refers to him as Christ Jesus, he's referring then, by putting the Christ name first, he's referring more to his divinity, that remember this God, that the God-man, Jesus Christ, but here he switches it, and he says Jesus Christ, and he puts his, his more if you will, his earthly name first. What's he doing? I think he's just simply doing this. He's trying to sh- remind Timothy, as he says there at the beginning of verse 8, remember, he's trying to remind him that the one that he serves and the one that saved him was also, even though he was fully God, he was also fully man. And he came, and folks, it was not a cakewalk for Jesus on this earth. Amen? There was difficulty. There were days where the Bible says that he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. That's greatly encouraging to me, because that tells me that there were days where Jesus was tempted to quit. He was tempted to give in to discouragement. He was tempted to give in to despair. Why? Because I've given in to the temptation of those things already. And he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. He never sinned in it. But Paul was telling Timothy, he says, remember Jesus Christ. And remember what we looked at in verse 1. Where is the grace that we need to give us strength? Where is that grace found? Verse 1. It's found in Christ Jesus. You want to find strength this morning? You want to find real grace to help you endure Very simple command, but I'm telling you, if you'll just do it, take time to remember Jesus Christ. How often do you think about his life? How often do you sit down and you meditate and you think? And again, Christian meditation, uh, worldly Eastern meditation is an emptying of your mind. Christian meditation is a filling of your mind. Very different, filling it with the truth. But sit down and meditate and fill your mind with the truth of what Jesus Christ did the crown of thorns, the nail in his hands, but also how he hung there on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And with his last dying breath, he yells out at the top of his lungs all that he could muster. It is finished. It's paid. It's over. Remember him. Remember how he rose from the dead and then he shows up to them in the room and they're all hiding in there in fear and they don't know what's happening and he comes out and he offers them his hands. He says, put your hand here. Feel that. That was for you. And he shows up in the midst of their fear and he says, peace be with you. Remember how he told us to go and make disciples. Remember how he said we would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and that we would be witnesses. Remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And Paul says, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but... The word of God is not bound. Why is the word of God not bound? The word of God is not bound if Timothy and those that Paul discipled, if they will obey this command, if they will be faithful to to take what they've heard and teach it to other men who will be able to teach others also. Scott, that was, I think that was timely. Scott, I don't know how many of you guys were in here for what Scott shared this morning. During the opening, I know Mercy Hill time is, we start at 10, by the way, which usually means 10, 15. 
Matt Beachy. I'm just, I'm not, <laughs> I'm just kidding, buddy. Um, but, but Scott, during his opening this morning, you know, just mentioned how, like, you know, 2020 has been a crazy year, and you got all the drama with politics and COVID and all this stuff going on. And guys, I think that at times we as Christians can think that somehow the word of God is bound. Like the mission is not gonna go forward. That God's not gonna have his way. God's gonna have his way. Jesus Christ is gonna continue to build his church. But our, our role in it and for our part to make sure that it continues to go forward is for each and every single one of you that calls Jesus Christ Lord to engage in this process of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Paul goes on here, and again, I, I'll, I gotta wrap up here. There's a lot more we could get into, but verse 10. He says, therefore, and listen now how he says this. This is kind of deep, but I won't spend a ton of time on it. Verse 10, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Why does Paul say this this way? Paul, why, why does Paul break out the word election here, which is something that Christians always, we tend to fight over, because like, ah, I don't, you know, what does that mean? The elect, but Paul goes out of his way to, uh, to state it this way here in this passage. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. And notice the two things coming together of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. That Paul's saying, there are, there, there are the elect. God, God, is, God is going to save people, but how is he going to save them? Through the endurance of men like Paul and men and women like you and I. Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. The Christ is on the move. He is still, he's seated at the Father's right hand. He is still by his spirit saving people, but he's doing it through our proclamation of the gospel and through our making of disciples. Verse 11, this saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. And then he gives here in verses 12 and 13, he says, if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, if he, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. How many of you in your Bible, if you're looking at this, how many of you in your Bible, verses 12 and 13 are like italicized or like indented or something? Anybody? Yeah. The reason that is is because almost all scholars agree that this, this little, um, these little couplets of lines here were probably part of an early hymn that the church sang. And he says, this saying, and so it was a saying that was well known, is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. What's he saying? He's saying if we die with Christ, if we're willing to put our faith and trust in him and die in him, but then also live that out. None of us does it perfectly, but we follow him. When he calls us to die, we die. Not just physically, but die to our desires and passions. We live like a soldier, we make sacrifices. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. That endurance is going to be needed. If we deny him, he also will deny us. There are those that are in Christ and there are those that are not in Christ. Every single one of you here this morning falls into one of those two categories. I hope that you are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you can be in Christ this morning. All you have to do is trust him. 
believe in the work that he did, repent of your sin, and turn, and you can't do one without the other. To believe in Christ by necessity means that you'll have to repent and turn from your old way of trying to save yourself or living for yourself. But if we deny him, he also will deny us. And he says, and then he says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Here's what I love about this, okay, and I'll just try to wrap this up here. But the early church, like I said, this was probably an early hymn or a song. The early church sang about this. The early church sang about his faithfulness. Again, in this letter, Timothy is really wrestling with persevering in the faith. Yes, fulfilling the specific command that I pointed out in verse 2, but just with his whole Christian walk. And guys, it is, it is um, common, meaning that everyone will experience in the Christian life, there will be times where you feel like giving up, okay? That is a common experience in the Christian life. And when you feel that way, okay, which all of us do at times, um, it is so important that in the midst of your faithlessness that you're feeling pressing against your soul, that you come back and you remember and you even sing about his faithfulness. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can I be really transparent with you guys for just a second and I'll be done, I promise? Okay, when worship team, you can come up. That way I will for sure close, okay? Um, but like two weeks ago, two not so two weeks from tomorrow, on a Monday, I totally felt like quitting. I really did. I just felt, I just felt like quitting. It was a conglomeration of things. It was nothing, nothing terrible. There's no special drama going on at Mercy Hill. Thank you for that. You guys are awesome. I love you. I get encouraged by you when I interact with you. But it was just, uh, it had just been really busy. I think it was the week, I think maybe the day before. Mondays are tough for a preacher because Mondays you think about everything that you could have said better and you also think about all the things that you didn't say that you wanted to say and some of the things maybe that you shouldn't have said. And so that's my Monday. And coupled with that and then along with I, I uh, um, had breakfast that morning with a, with a friend who's a good guy loves the Lord, but I have this weird phenomenon in my life right now where a bunch of people from my past, um, not people from my past, they're still friends, but like guys that I used to run with and be really close with, they're all becoming millionaires. They're all becoming really, really wealthy. And it's, and it's all, they're, they're good guys. God, God bless them and God love them and God, they're right where God, where God wants them to be. And I had breakfast with him Monday morning and then I went and I sat in my office and I just thought, I stink. <laughs> you ever have days like that? I just went and I just kind of sat in it. And I was like, yeah, Eric, you stink. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you stink. Yeah, Eric, I'm, I'm positive you stink. And I just kind of sat in that and I just wanted to go do something else because I, I wasn't seeing the results that, um, 
that maybe I wanted to see or, you know, it's hard to measure things outwardly sometimes in ministry. But God, in his grace and in his mercy, by the end of the day, and then on Tuesday, kind of just brought me back, and he made me remember, like verse 8 says, he, he just made me remember all that he's done for me. And that my life is not my own, that I was bought with a price, and that I belong to him. And I share all that for this reason. Number one, please, I am in no way any sort of a martyr, okay? That wasn't the point of that story. My life, I have it very, very good, and God is very, very gracious. It's just that at times I'm very, very sinful and very, very weak, okay? Um, but I share that because I know that many of you, you, you are, you are seeking to live a life that honors and glorifies God. You're seeking to, man, you're seeking to raise godly families and to leave, lead, your, lead your wife and your kids well. And moms, you're seeking to pour into your kids and to be a faithful wife. And many of you are seeking to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And you are obeying this command. But I just share that because I just, I want the culture of our church to be one where, man, we don't, where we don't play any games with each other, right? Because if you're discouraged this morning, or maybe you're not discouraged this morning, but you'll, here's the thing, you'll probably be discouraged at some point. I never want you to feel like you've got to pretend. Amen? Please look at me. Don't ever feel like you have to pretend. Okay? Because uh, if you think your pastor has it all together, not true. Not true. I need Jesus. Amen? I need Jesus. And so do you. And so, Father, we just, we thank you for this morning. We love you. We love your word. God, I just, I just pray that you'd help us to obey what we talked about here today. Lord, for some here this morning, I pray that it, as, as simple as it sounds compared to all the, I don't know, the highness and grandeur of the mission that you've called us to, but as simple as it sounds, I pray that for some here that they would go to the website today and just fill out a little form that says they'd like to be invested in, they'd like to be discipled. For others, Lord, I pray that you would just connect them to maybe somebody younger, maybe not even age-wise, but maybe just in the Lord that doesn't know as much of your word as, as they do, that you'd just help them to pour into them. But Father, by your grace and by your spirit and with your help, we ask that you would help us to obey this command of investing in others so that they can invest in others. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to this earth and for investing in us, for loving us, for saving us, for purifying us, for washing us, for forgiving us, for making us something that we were not. We just pray, Lord, that we would be faithful as you are faithful and that we would remember your faithfulness and that we would sing about it. And thank you, Lord, that even when we're faithless at moments, you remain faithful because you cannot deny yourself. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Yeah, stand with me and we'll sing.